knocking on Cabin's door. <laughs> That's right. You're listening to America's most visionary podcast, The Pod People. I'm the 40-ounce horseman of the apocalypse, oh. Matisse Van Rossum. Man, I, I'm Ben Sheets, and it turns out the four horsemen were the friends we made along the way. Right, boys. That's right. Can't argue with that. Yo, boys, it's the cock at the cabin, Cleveland Moser. <laughs> okay. Knock, knock, open up the door, it's real. It's the non-stop pop-pop of John Batista. We just got back from seeing the latest... Uh, no one's going to get that joke either. <laughs> it's, it's, our our inside John, John Batista, Batista joke. <laughs> oh, shit, did I call him John Batista? <laughs> <laughs> Oops, sorry. I'm going to call him Dave Batista. Yeah, so we had an inside joke about that. Now I just accidentally call him John Batista. Yeah, that, we've all been calling him John Batista. Well, we it's just Dave, got... It's Dave we, we just got back... I know this now. <laughs> we just got back from seeing the latest uh, M. Night Shyamalan uh, masterpiece. Knock at the cabin. We've all got our uh, 40 ounces. Well, actually, 42 ounces. It's even better bang for Whoa, your buck. look at that. What a deal. 42 ounces of... Uh, old English. Old English. Baby. Malt liquor. That's right. Mm-hmm. We just kind of made that last uh, spur-of-the-moment decision. Sometimes... Well, no, 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 no. What happened is really important. We walked into the gas station, and we both went to the same place. And I looked at you, and I said, Tease, I'm feeling 40s. And I looked over, and you were already reaching for them. And you said, you know what? I was thinking the same thing. And you know what? I think. It was a shared vision. God was telling us to drink 40s tonight. I mean, it and helped. And you almost that... went for something else, Ben. But then you said, you know what? No, I don't want to be singled out. I mean, her. it helped. And you, you got a 42, and I respect that. You had a, a, a like a big concussion before we got <laughs> there. Uh, that's just sort of how I ride, yeah. <laughs> I have that concussion energy. It, it's, it's always good to drink it off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what they say. The annual tradition... Of an M. Night Shyamalan movie is upon us yet you mean again. The anal tradition. Cleveland's foe. Cleveland's nemesis. M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. I'm ready to fight. Pretty consistently, every uh, spring, he comes out with a movie. Or, you know, maybe every couple of years. We've, we've covered a lot of his stuff on the podcast before. It's that time again. He's brought us Knock at the Cabin, which is uh, a, a film adaptation of a book by Paul Tremblay called The Cabin at the End of the World. I've never read it. I've heard it's good. I don't know. My friend that read it said it was alright. I think it was John's. I don't know uh, how good of, how faithful of an adaptation this movie oh, is. I think Sean, sorry, I think Jans was saying he didn't like it very well, much, the book. We'll see. Jans also has questionable taste. I, I like Jans' <laughs> taste. We'll bring him back on so he can fight you. Yeah, just don't let him start talking about David Lynch. I was gonna say God I can't. I cannot right. trust the taste of somebody who completely writes off David Lynch. I'm sorry. I mean, I love David Lynch, but but I anyway. It. Well, okay. We we introduced like slander on my the man. the obvious fact that uh, you know M Night is Cleve's foe. Yes. So Cleve's I want to get you know true. initial impressions from Cleve. That was mid. I mean, mid for Shyamalan is like a shining success. No, it's just in, mid like, in I, your book, right? I guess, but like, I no, I don't want to give him any more credit than he's due. Yeah, look, look, I'm not, 
I'm not gonna praise a hack for for doing okay. All right, like it's fine. It was the trailer. The movie was just the fucking trailer. But too yeah, hard. basically it was. Yeah. And like when I say that, I don't just mean like oh. I mean, I I do mean that those things that happened in the trailer were basically all that happened to the film, but to an nth degree, where like even the kills, you know, it's PG thirteen, so like the the shot where the cool like, uh, what was the name of the movie? The that's like Venom, where it has like all the wonk, wonky, funky angles. Morbius. No, uh, the you know the the one with the, the- upgrade. Upgrade. Oh, it has, yeah. a, it has an upgrade shot in it where like he he swings the axe back and the camera follows the axe, you know, like that, and it comes down. And <laughs> I like, don't think Upgrade was the only movie. No, to do but that. it's it, it, the entire movie is that in Upgrade. And <laughs> yeah, like, okay, you know that's fair. Sure. Like uh, anyway, he does like the the cool camera shot with a thing and it comes up and you're like, oh man, I can't wait for the movie to watch him bring the hammer down on the guy and it cuts away in the movie too. Like you yeah, know, you don't see yeah. shit. It cuts away from all the kills. I do think it's kind of cowardly in that regard. Yeah, well, they could have... They had a great opportunity to shoot those kills from the girl's perspective because the girl was made to look away. Mm-hmm. So, like, we just do it from her perspective and you really, like, you really zero in on that so that we really feel for the child and we're, we're put in her place. But they don't fucking do that. They just, they're just going to near Well, behind. yeah, you know, I, the way I look at it is for a movie that is... Uh, a movie that is entirely a heavy-handed allegory for the book of revelation and the whole come and see thing about oh. about bearing witness it sure does not show a lot okay, well, I mean, <laughs> it sure... I mean, allegory it's literal like like it's it, the, the 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 only thing that makes it an, an allegory is they aren't literally horses but they they they're doing the same thing. It's they're wearing the colors. They're, they're there's four of them. They have weird weapons. It's it is allegory. It is the definition By of definition, it is the definition of allegory. What takes it past that is at the end when they just say it. Yeah, yeah I will say <laughs> Where they like, just literally say it. The, it should be a given Fuck with you, M. Night that yeah. like, you're going to be spoiled for an M. We're M. doing Night. a really good job of this, guys. <laughs> but like, well, We're all drinking 40s. We we're coming in with a certain vibe. I don't mind. The, yeah, the audience, is just, yeah. you can be here for it, too. Welcome like, to the club. The thing, I'll like, open a 40 for you. They they do a terrible job executing on the storytelling of this movie, in my opinion, mm. to the point where they don't really do a good job, like, casting doubts throughout the movie on, like, whether or not this is really the thing. So when there's supposed to be a twist, the twist is that there's really no twist. And that's that only works because... They do such a shitty job, like, <laughs> executing it in the rest of the movie. Yeah. Well, we're we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Let's do a blanket what this movie is about. Yes. A family is staying at a, a vacation cabin in the woods. Four people show up, break in, take them hostage, and say, Hey, look, uh, the apocalypse is upon us. You have to voluntarily sacrifice one member of your family to stop the apocalypse. Otherwise, the world is going to end. Mm-hmm. And yes, you're right. Told more competently, the whole tension of the movie should be whether or not 
the apocalypse is actually happening or if these people are crazy. And that's yeah. the way that the film presents it. Like that's that's the doubt being cast. But it doesn't do a good job necessarily it of that doubt it being does cast. Very terrible job. It doesn't it doesn't do a good job of like making you as the audience think like hmm, maybe maybe these guys are just full of shit, you know? Maybe these people are having a shared doubt. delusion. Yeah. Like, I don't I wouldn't say there's never a doubt, but it's never it's never particularly convincing. Well, there's times where like the protagonists are doubting it, but yeah. there's nothing like to earnestly give us doubt. And they they very easily could have introduced doubt. Yeah. Like, they wrote well, the you script. can tell like, because you can... they fumble it and they well, try, but they fail. Yeah. That's the problem, as always, is that M. Night Shyamalan is not a very good writer. Yeah. I don't think he's a bad director. I really don't. But I don't think he's I don't think he's a good writer. And the problem is that he writes all of his fucking movies. And I would love to see an M. Night movie where somebody else does the entire script and he doesn't touch it and he just comes in and directs it. I don't know. I, don't, I think the direction was mid at best. Like, no, I no, I disagree, man. I, I, I don't think M. Night I is... Think the scene blocking was like outright bad in this movie. No, I, I don't agree with that. That poses an interesting like, like question, Like the shots though. where like... They're, they're the one where like Rupert Grin is talking to Dave Batista. I got his name right. Um, and, uh, uh, and I should, cause he's a, he's a good actor and he's a, he's a good wrestler and he's cool. I like, I like Dave. Batista. Love big Dave. Love yeah. big Dave. Um, he comes in scathe, thank God. But, uh, more on that later. Uh, but there's, yeah, there's a bit where he's talking to Rupert Grint and like, he's on like the right side of the frame and then he, and Rupert Grint is on like the left but he's on the left and the right, so like there's this weird. I mean, like, I think it's I think it's it's intentionally skewed framing. The mo- the movie is full of it. Yeah, to, I, to what end? Like to what? What is the purpose? I like, think other it's, than to be like it's it's cerebral, so we're gonna give it a Dutch. I mean, I think it's cl- I I don't think it's necessarily like nuanced, but I do think it's <sighs> in it's it is intentional, and the intent is to give the feeling of being off balance and uncertain that is that is what the film is trying to do again i think the script is pretty bad so it doesn't accomplish that but i don't i i think and and like the stuff like the the upgrade shot you're talking about where the camera like follows the axe and there's a part where Rupert Grant is getting the absolute shit beaten out of him and he's got the camera strapped to him and we're seeing it as the one dad is just like punching the shit out of him. I think that there are a lot of good visual I thought I think there are a lot of good visual instincts here and I think that's the case in all of Shyamalan's stuff here's the thing the script just sucks well that's the thing I think the 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 screenwriting undoes a lot of the visual storytelling of the film because rather than telling the story visually and letting the audience deduce what's happening they spell every fucking thing out multiple times in dialogue by them telling yes. the audience what is going on. Yes, and it's the same shit that's the problem with all of M. Night's movies where all of the characters speak with the same voice. There's, like, there's nothing distinct about the way they talk. It's all stilted, they all sound the same tonally, and there it's just, like, not the way that people talk, and it over-explains. And that's, like, every M. Night movie, pretty yeah. much. 
But, you know, I will kind of bridge the middle in terms of, like, what I thought about, like, the the visual element and the visual storytelling in this movie is, like, I do think it was interesting how much M. Night kind of focuses on doing, like, extreme close-ups and Dutch angles in this movie, but it didn't really feel all that motivated to me. You know, you're trying to make it claustrophobic, but, like, to what end, really? I think it's I think it's motivated, but it's too broad. It's not specific enough in its motivation. It's like, we're trying to capture a, a feeling of how this is supposed to be, but do, doesn't really have, like, a good, nuanced idea of that. Like, they do a lot of cool camera stuff, but it comes at, like, weird times, um, I, I do think that, like, the very beginning when Dave Batista first shows up and is talking to the little girl outside and they're catching grasshoppers and playing the, the game where they pull a petal from the flower and they mm-hmm. ask each other a question, I do like how that scene is shot and played out with just, like, these very close-up shots of each of their faces, shot-reverse shot, and each time it reverses... They they turn the Dutch a little bit more, and it just yeah. as it as it goes, and as the tension of the conversation oh, builds, it right out of it. it's I See, I, 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 I think love that's the fine. Close-ups like of Dutch. that sequence. I love the extreme <laughs> close-ups of that sequence. But like during the during that sequence, I turned to Cleve and I like motioned to like move the camera, like fix the camera. Yeah. yeah, because it's so distracting. Like, yeah, man, it took me right out of it. Yeah, it 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 feels like it's style over substance. Where like mm-hmm. the well, yeah, it totally, it totally, the, the it style totally is. Of that scene should be fairly invisible because it's such a strong scene. As is, yeah. Just let big from Dave broad act. Strokes, yeah, you know? like let him just act. Well, on the subject of oh, acting, that's oh, another reason why I will defend Shyamalan as a director, because I think pretty much every performance in this movie, almost, is good. The lines they're saying are generally pretty bad, mm-hmm. but I buy just about all of these people, and I think that that is mostly true for Shyamalan's other movies too give or take specific examples. Marky Mark in The Happening is a great one. Um, I mean, that's the best Shyamalan performance. Right, but I mean, also look at something like Split, where there's a genuinely great performance from James McAvoy. And James McAvoy is a good actor, but a performance is not solely from an actor. There There is, like... That is literally what the director is there to do, to direct the actors. And I think that M. Night is able to consistently get good performances out of his actors, which is made all the more impressive by how bad the dialogue always is. And that's the thing, like, I think the acting was good, sure, but all the characters felt super underbaked. Yes. Regardless of... How much they directly tell us about their backstory. Like, I agree. Oh, I, I was they, saying this they to still Tease. feel flat and one-dimensional. Yes, but that's yeah. the writing. I was saying that to Tease coming out of the movie. Yes, it is the writing. Um, uh, so while we're in, in in the writing, Ben, you went off the bathroom. And I, I said to Tease, like, this is the same problem that Old had. Where they do this super awkward, super clunky thing of the character walking up to the front of the screen saying, Hi! 
My name is blank blank. And my this, job is blank. Yes, this blank. is my profession. Like, go back to I, our go back to our old episode. I like, live we in. It, we brought it up then. I live the in this thing. city, and I live in city, and I I uh, I have kid or I don't, and and like that's that's character writing, and like that's enough, right? And like that's and and it's so funny because these people, right? These characters. Um, have all had this, like, wild shared vision, and they're brought to these, like, terrifying and terrible circumstances where they, they have no choice but to, to, to make these people choose someone or they have to kill each other. And it's, it's, it's terrifying, and, and it's, it's awful, and, like, you want to, they want to do everything they can to justify themselves and to say, I'm sorry, I am a person to these people. And the best they can do is, my name is... John and I'm I'm a cook and I have a kid and like and, and then the next person shuffles up and says and my name is Susie and I'm a nurse and that's it. and like that's it like and it's that same thing and it's just as awkward as old I mean and, I think it's more motivated in this movie than old You know what I'm convinced well, of is though good. is I think this is like a total rookie screenwriting syndrome when you're writing a screenplay, like, you put the character name and then what they're saying, and you don't want people to get lost in, like, who these characters are. So a rookie screenwriter will often, like, make sure the characters say what their names are to the other characters. So you do you set that up immediately. Yeah. And it's like... M. Night does it in almost every one of his movies. It's funny, it's funny that, like... It is a rookie screenwriting thing, but M. Night's been writing movies for, like, all, almost 30 years at this point. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You it's like you think you've grown, sense, yeah. And suddenly people think you're a brilliant screenwriter. Yeah, like it's like you think, you'd, you think you'd grow out of it at a certain point. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, all of his characters, all the way back to, like, fucking Unbreakable, they all talk the same. Like, I, I challenge you to find a character in any M. Night movie who doesn't talk exactly like any other character from any other M. Night movie. Yeah, but and doing a silly voice does not count. Because <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. And instead of like letting someone else write and just him direct, you know, step, step away a little bit, he does something far worse. He takes other people's work and adapts it poorly. And and like that's, uh, that's yeah well yeah he adapts it himself you know and you mentioned style over substance and I I I think in that way you can liken somebody like M Night to uh, we're going from Cleveland's nemesis to my nemesis mm. um, Nicholas Winding Refn ah. and I think similarly his biggest problem is that he's a dog shit writer I don't think he's a terrible director and I don't think he has bad sensibilities when it comes to filmmaking he just doesn't know how to write a compelling story at all and what is his best movie drive a movie that he did not write well i will say in minor defense of wingdings reign his scripts are not very verbose Yes. You know, there's not a lot of dialogue in his movies, unlike... Unlike Shyamalan, who the characters never shut up. Yeah. They're like the opposite. And honestly, I don't know which one I find more frustrating. I mean, obviously, I Nick Reffin frustrates me more than, uh, than Shyamalan does. 
I think Shyamalan has more good movies than Nick yeah. Revan does. But you know, Cleve, you introduced something interesting a minute ago when you were talking about how uh, when you know the characters are introducing themselves, like that's their time to kind of prove to these people that they're human. Yeah, show like, humanity. You know, kind of show that they're not just like in a suicide cult. And like, I think so that's... You mean there's some kind of suicide squad? <laughs> I think that's like the core of my problem with this movie is like, it, they're so vague in their premonitions that it doesn't feel like it's convincing at all no you know if you're having these visions of things happening and you're trying to convince people that like you need to make a sacrifice would you not like be specific in what your visions are yeah you know? i mean it's it's one of those things where it's like they do that because they're trying to tell a compelling story and it has to be vague so that there can be doubt but then you're you're damned because it's it's not believable but you also can't have them be so hyper specific that the people believe them immediately so it's like it's a damned if you do damned if you don't kind well, of thing they, they try to have their cake and eat it too in a way because like one of the i think it was andrew said like you know this stuff is pre-recorded these news broadcasts are pre-recorded of right disasters. you keep checking your watch yeah. you knew when this was going to be on tv yeah and so you could reasonably kind of be specific there and just still kind of have that sense of doubt and in my opinion it would even strengthen that sense of doubt because you don't know if it's pre-recorded and that's the big thing i think they could have played up the ambiguity way way more and i think it would make for a much more compelling movie yeah i agree to every time they have to they they go to like prove that like oh yep the apocalypse is happening they literally just click the tv on and the news is always conveniently like oh yes there was an earthquake off the coast of the pacific northwest and we have footage of a tsunami hitting uh seattle and my god all of those people are now dead and underwater how horrible and it's like they turn the tv off and the next time they turn it on it's like there are multiple outbreaks of plague in this place this place and this place and this plague is very bad and it <laughs> it is particularly bad for children under the age of 10 and it's like then they turn the tv off and they turn it on again later now 700 airplanes have just fallen <laughs> literally, That's like literally seven, yeah, yeah, 700 yeah, yeah. airplanes have fallen out of the sky and it's like Man, you guys, there's got to be a more interesting way to like deliver this stuff in a way, in a way that's like chilling, but also like vague enough to cast doubt. Like seeing the fucking news footage of the tsunami hitting the beach, okay. it's like, yes. okay, what, what doubt is there well, at that point? Also, you know? like, how did they get that footage? It wasn't like a live stream or anything. Like a person was just recording like a special moment on the beach. 
And then, like, like, like when they got hit by the tsunami, did they, like, have enough Presu- time to hit six? It's Presumably, just the death to the news network. Okay. Presumably, mm-hmm. it probably was a live stream. They just didn't think to have, like, the, the chat and, like, the little icons. Oh, man. I, they should have. Just done. have poggers on the side. Just, like, as soon as the tsunami hits and, like, the camera goes underwater, just a bunch of people spamming R.I.P. <laughs> just R-I-P, all R-I-P, these R-I-P. F's Rest in the chat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> rest in piss. Like yeah, pour just, pour one out. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that's my problem throughout. Is like they're vague, not only in like casting doubt and like explaining their visions, but they're vague in like why they chose that family or why they are compelled to make a sacrifice of each other. If, you know, they decide not to. I mean, yeah, it's literally just, this is what we saw in our vision, so that's how it has to be. Yeah, God is real, that's it, that's all you need to know. Fuck you. Yeah. Why, don't ask questions. Which is so stupid, like, in a movie where, like, we're supposed to be left with doubt, um, when you do answer the question, that's a perfect opportunity to introduce more logic, right? And to say, like, oh, no, they were right, and here's why. We don't get that. We just get, oh, they were right. There's never that much thought put into it. Yeah. Of course there's not. It's they, well, they, they tried to play up that there was a message board that they Yeah, they tried to use that to and... kind of cast doubt a little bit. It's like, yeah. oh, you met on a message board? One of them even says at a certain, at one point, like, you're in an echo chamber. <laughs> yeah, they're in the most cursed Discord server ever. I bet it smells crazy in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having apocalyptic visions. <laughs> what, what do I do? Somebody help. And you know what? I will say, we already mentioned a little bit, um, despite how sort of like underdeveloped and vague all of this stuff is and how sort of unconvincing the people who are holding them hostage are, I think one person pulls it off. And it's Big Dave. Big Dave Dave is the backbone of this film. He is the backbone of this fucking movie. He takes that bad script and he makes me believe it. Well, and he does such I a great job buy it. of being this imposing force, but also being very empathetic, you know? Yeah, Going, he's a gentle giant. Yeah. He's an archetype as old as time. It works great. I have a funny tangent about Big Dave. Uh, I saw a story going around on Twitter a couple of days ago where he was saying he really wanted to do a romantic comedy but no studio oh, yeah. ever tried to, you know, give him that role. And he, he said he's, it, it's because he thinks he's ugly. He thinks he's too ugly yeah. to be in a romantic oh, comedy. And it makes me so sad. I think that's sad. Oh, and it's like, deserves man. to it, be in a romantic comedy. Yeah. He does. And you know man. what it is? And it's not because he's ugly, because he's not. It's because he's fucking huge. He's too, like, you don't want somebody physically imposing as the lead in your romantic comedy. It's I th- do. It's threatening. Yeah. I'm speaking I'm speaking from a know, general, romantic comedies are, are you know, yeah. primarily made for women. You know, you, especially now, you don't want an enormous, like, jacked man with fucking hot dog head and uh, just, like, covered in tattoos, you know. Like, it's he's just not... 
he's just not the ideal romantic comedy lead. But I want it for him. You know I what? want it for him. Big want... Dave, if you're listening, you're not ugly. You're and not you deserve ugly. deserve love. Yeah. I, and I, that goes for any of you listening. I, you're all beautiful. I hope, I wish only the best for Big Dave Batista. I think that he's got a lot of potential in his career. I think he is fucking hands down the best wrestler turned actor. Like, not even a question, you know, especially now that and in, in comparison to somebody like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who has totally shoehorned himself into one specific kind of role that he plays every time Disney where he, man where he can't. It is like in his contract, his characters can never be killed. Like he can't fucking appear weak. He always has to be like the big, strong, cool guy. And you see, like, what kind of stuff is Dave Batista doing? He's in shit like this. He's he's in Dune. He's in Dune. Fucking Dune. He's he's got that he's got that incredible, very small part in the beginning of Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Big Dave. Is in all kinds of movies. He's in. Oh, he's good. In he's in that fucking. Time. Isn't he in that fucking Stuber movie with <laughs> Kamel Nanjiani? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he like he, Big Dave is all he. He'll, he'll do anything. He's talked about wanting to do like more prestige roles, and like I hope he he gets to do that. Dude, yeah. You know? Fuck man. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's. I think he's a, a genuinely very good actor. Yeah. I mean, and I'm, I'm probably gonna give like at least two stars to this movie. Just he's and as you said, Ben, he's 100 percent the backbone of this movie. His character is the most believable because of it, despite the shitty script, despite the bad dialogue. Dave Batista sells every moment he's in this movie. And you know what? Like, I think his figure and you know very imposing kind of physique plays into kind of the role super well yeah where like i don't think other people could pull this role off quite like dave did here yeah big old dave you really do believe it like yeah. and he he brings so much to this role and the role doesn't deserve it and he's there anyway and i I agree. I, you know, as much as as much as I went into this movie with with hatred in my heart and as bitter and 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 uh, bothered as I wanted as I was to be there, um, one still glad I went, largely because of Big Dave, but also I'm glad I went because any time to go with the movie to the movies with my boys is a good time. Hey, cheers, man! Fuck yeah, cheers. in Dolby as well. In, in Dolby, Dolby, yeah, yeah. yeah. We got to, yeah, we got to hear the bad dialogue in Dolby. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I think that I, I, I do obviously. I have yeah, got. I'm just drunk and sentimental. I've got a ton of problems with this movie, and we're not even done discussing those. Sure. But I will say, I, I genuinely did not hate this movie. I think this movie is very watchable. I think it's, it's very okay, and a huge part of that is how much I liked Dave Batista in this movie. And frankly, I would probably watch this movie again just for Big Dave. Same reason I like to go back to Split every now and then. I think Split's a pretty good movie, but in a similar way that Dave Batista carries this, James McAvoy carries Split. His performance is, is interesting enough that I like to go back and watch that. Here's the thing for me. I think this is one of my the least favorite M. Night movies that I've seen. I haven't seen them all. I haven't seen, like, 
Lady in the Water. Lady in the Water is rough. Or Avatar. Yeah, I haven't seen Avatar or The Visit. I think those are the big ones that I'm missing. The Visit was okay. Um, But, like, I think if Big Dave wasn't in this movie... Way less watchable. Easily. Way less watchable. Probably one of M. Night's worst movies. Yeah, but, you know... Because, like, I think... uh, You know, one of this movie's benefits as well as drawbacks is it's a very stripped down story Mm -hmm. right it's essentially single location yeah small you know small amount of characters each character has their own driving motivation the problem with that is like m night is such a visual spectacle director Mm -hmm. that when you give him material like this he tries to inject spectacle where he can, and he does that with extreme close-ups and obnoxious cutaways to you know what Emmerich-style disasters. <laughs> you know what? When this movie was announced years ago, in like the very first tweet that went out about it, alongside the casting of Dave Bautista, who was the only one announced at that time, and the title of the film... I very specifically remember them saying that the film was going to be one continuous take from beginning to end, (laughs) a la Birdman. And obviously they decided against that, right? Because the movie is not. It's it's cut like a, a standard movie. Yeah, and it's blocked like you're trying to hide the craft service table. I am so... I, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't follow through on that because I'm genuinely very curious how M. Night would pull off like a Birdman style well, movie. Well, that's really interesting because this film feels a lot like a stage play. Yeah. Like, think about it. Like, you could easily do a theater version of this. Movie. Totally. This is this is M. Night Shyamalan's attempt at a hateful eight. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, that movie is very much theatrical as well. Largely one location. There's a bit of a whodunit factor, or who's guilty, or whatever. There's a mystery element to it. I think think Hateful Eight still has a a larger sense of scale than this. Well, it's better in every way, yeah. Yeah, true true that. Yeah, Tarantino was, was far more proficient. But that's yeah. not, you know, like, that's me saying grass is green. But I but I, I think you're right that, that M. Night does have sort of a penchant for, for spectacle. And I think a, a single take film or the illusion of a single take could have been an interesting, smaller scale attempt at, at some kind of spectacle. And I am a little disappointed that yeah. that is not how it turned out. I think it would have been interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think that could have been an interesting approach. You know, I think if there's two main influences to M. Night, it's Hitchcock and Spielberg. Yeah. And, like, Hitchcock obviously did the single take thing with Rope. With Rope, yeah. And, like, that movie's pretty good. It, bl- you know? it, it, it slings Rope. It busts Rope. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Yeah. I mean... The Spielberg influence is maybe my biggest problem with this movie. Mm. I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit to yeah. spoilers, but like wait, we already did. I, I think. Oh, are we? Wait, are I we in a place? Are, the, talking about we're the we're talking about doubt and like oh, sure. you know being unsure. I think this movie, much like old, its biggest detriment is not ending ambiguously. 
Because well, it never ends ambiguously. Well, that's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. I think... I just don't know why you'd expect it from him after after all of these years. I don't necessarily <laughs> expect it, but, like, I think it would have made for a much better movie yeah. if you just, you know, ended the movie after Big Dave kills, kills himself. himself. You know, and seeing the, the two guys decide whether they're going to off themselves and just end there you know like you know honestly the movie's stronger if we don't know whether if it's we real as the not. audience come out doubting yeah, yeah i agree that yeah, that's having the plane like crash overhead and the lightning and stuff <laughs> is oh the my god the, the planes the planes falling out of the, the sky is so planes. visually funny yeah and yep. it's portrayed like so seriously yeah. like so stone-faced well, like, but uh, just like all of these shots of just like multiple planes just falling out of the sky complete with the cartoon anvil falling sound <laughs> the funniest part is as they go like, down like <laughs> we we projected that 700 planes have crashed Half of them are over New York City, it seems. What? <laughs> Just because, like all the like, planes falling yeah. on so Central there, there's Park. A, there's a shot where people are like standing on a balcony and you see three planes go down in that one in shot. Central yeah, Park. It's yeah. like That's 700 insane. planes, but most of them are like right outside Central Park. They live by Park. an airport? Like, yeah. why are there like, like the three it's planes so are like funny. really close to each other? Like, too? come on, like, man. You can't, you can't show us any of that. If you're like legitimately, I mean, you know what? I mean, okay, I will say, I guess in fairness, at that point, that is the moment where, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the two guys are like, oh shit. Yeah. Maybe this is real, you know? So like, that's supposed to be like, it's beyond doubt at this point, but I agree with you. Like, I don't think you should ever show us the audience that I think it has like, it's so much more interesting if we come out of it being like, was it real? Was it not? Shit like lightning striking a tree or even a person or something. That's something that's like, like could be coincidence or, or it could be divine intervention. You know, yeah. Like, make, make Dave Batista or make one of the other characters like a coder or a hacker, right? And then and then be like, oh, all these jet blue planes went down. And it's like, oh shit, is it? Did he hack JetBlue, or is it God? Are they terrorists? Well, and it's like, oh... It's such an easy fix, in my opinion, because all you have to do is show them watching the news coverage. Don't oh, yeah, sure, but don't show itself, what they're actually seeing. You know? But again, Shyamalan's got to do the spectacle. Well, that's the thing. That's the other big problem of this film, yeah. is it doesn't feel confident enough to tell the story uh, subtly or visually. Saying visually is kind of an odd way of putting it. But, like, what I mean by that is, like, rather than having it told to you point yeah. by point, have things implied. Like, one of the guys, Redmond, was actually a guy that beat the shit out of one of the... Out of Andrew, who attacked Andrew in Boston, yeah. And that. rather than using the ID to visually do the storytelling for that and kind of outline that, they literally tell us point by point multiple times exactly what happened. Yeah, he was and the man later who attacked tell me us visually. In Boston. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, the the other biggest sin in in my opinion with that is like one of like central 
themes of the whole film and symbolism uh, is of these four invaders as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They come in talking about the apocalypse, and again, it at this point, they are doing visual storytelling for the most part. They're all wearing the associated colors of the horsemen of the apocalypse. Redmond, played by Rupert Grant, he's wearing a red shirt and his red hair, and he has red hair, and his name is and his name is Redmond. Do you think he was cast because he he, he has red hair? Maybe, yes, yes absolutely. Maybe. Knowing M Night, probably, absolutely. I kept thinking of Redman, yeah, the, the rapper, the, yeah, the rapper from Wu Tang Clan, yeah, though? Eddie Redmayne. Oh man, they oh, should have. No, dude, that dude fucking sucks. He does. Fuck Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> Oh, like wow, he's okay. Is he, this your nemesis? Yes, he is my nemesis. <laughs> now, right? I, I don't, I don't Nothing but I don't trash him. movies left and right. Oh, I, I, but I yeah, so Redmond's wearing the red shirt and he's angry and pissed off. So he's war. You've got uh, Adrian who dresses all in black. She's a line cook. She tells you she's a cook. So she's famine. A line cook that's honestly a little too into her job. Way too. <laughs> having been a line cook for almost ten years, uh, for uh, up until a couple of years ago, any any line cook who is that enthusiastic about their job is a fucking psycho. Yeah. Also, on top of that, shouldn't shouldn't she have done a bad job cooking the food if she's if she's famine? Well, I think that that that's part of the the. I hesitate to call it a subversion, but each of them, though they represent the Horsemen of the Apocalypse, they're kind of like the reverse of that as well. Because like he's, he beat the shit out of the dude. Yeah, but he's but he's cowardly. He attacked him from behind in the flashback so when we didn't see. He smashes it with a bottle. He gets the shit fucking kicked out of him when they first break in. He's not able to effectively fight. He is angry. But he's weak. So that's sort of the inverse of war, right? Adrian, who is famine, she's a line cook. She cooks breakfast for the little girl at a certain point. She loves to feed people, but she's the black horse. She's famine. The nurse, who wears the light yellow shirt, the pale horse, she's death, but she's a healer, right? Like, it's all... it's it's not it's not subtle, but it is all done visually for the most part until the fucking end of the movie where <laughs> Jonathan Groff literally says they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And it's I just wanted to fucking bash my head into the seat in front of me <laughs> at that point because it's like it's already obvious. It's not subtle. Like, you don't have to say it. Well, just let too, it. Just let says, it be. Vi- let the audience feel good for picking up on your obvious symbolism. Well, what's so weird, and is that's that- presented like the twist of the movie. Like they they say that <laughs> like they would say any twist in any Shyamalan movie, where the reveal is like, oh my god. The the beach done make you old, you know. Like so, so like here here's the weirdest part about it to me too is he doesn't just say they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. He then goes on to say he, he we, we get a, we get a cut of each of them like yeah you know like a flashback to each of them with him saying 
malice uh, malice, nurture, nurturing, Nur- healing, healing, and guidance. And guidance. Famously, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Like, malice, just, nurturing, <laughs> healing, and you guidance. Pick any archetypical words. Like, uh, yeah, um, uh, uh, sad, uh, uh, happy, hungry, and horny. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. Like, what the fuck does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. Like, like, yeah, like it's, it's sleepy, dopey. <laughs> <laughs> Man, like that's the thing. The four like, dwarfmen of the the snow. There Wars you go. <laughs> good, good. Okay. Well, it's like, why, why does he say that? Why doesn't he just say death? Whatever. Like, he's already being blunt about it. Just, just keep being blunt. I don't know. It's weird. It well, weird. it's yeah. it's because it's because. They don't. They aren't literal, literal embodiments of the actual four but horsemen of they? the apocalypse. But that, I mean, that's the thing is that they're they represent them, but they are also their inverse. And M Knight doesn't know a good way to say that. No. He doesn't know, and that's why you just shouldn't fucking say it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> like, I intuited all of this. <laughs> Before they fucking said it. Like, trust your audience. Well, that's the thing. I feel like M. Night misunderstands, like, the core of what makes a good M. Night movie. The The core of, you know, a lot of these are, like, the water cooler discussions with coworkers after the fact. And that stems from, you know, having ambiguity and uncertainty and things to discuss where like this movie lays things out so directly that there's not much to discuss yeah, in well, terms of ambiguity afterwards. And like we said very early on, in this case, perhaps in the greatest twist of M. Night's career, the twist is that there is no twist. And yeah. in one respect I hate that so much. In one, well, in one respect, I hate that statement. I kind of, true, I, hate it. I kind of appreciate M Night making like a definitive like decision to not put in a stupid twist into his into his movie for the first time in his fucking career. I, but on the other hand, the ending, it's not satisfying. As it is, it's, here's my. It's too literal. Here's my counterpoint. I think M Night has no respect for his audience to the point where I think he thinks the audience is dumb enough to think that them saying that these mm. are the four horsemen is a twist. You think that that is that that that, that is the twist? Yes, absolutely. Oh, man, I do too. I think he's that much of an idiot and a hack. And he has that little respect for his audience. I think. I think Ben is totally right. I don't. Uh, okay. That's, that's I, why, like, the music swells, and he says that with like such revelation. And we're supposed to be experiencing because that I think eyes. Ben's right. On top of that, M Night that's tries really and obviously fails to like play up the idea of doubt throughout the movie mm. to the point where that should be a twist. Man, the if problem that... is it's in execution terribly done if that is the twist if that is truly like intended to be a a a revelation pun intended (laughs) then that is fucking so stupid that's exactly what he's doing yeah i cannot even like i cannot even wrap my brain around it 
Like, the moment you see the four of them walking up to the porch in their different colored shirts, like, it is so obvious. You have to understand media literacy. Like, Oh, yeah, media literacy is at an all-time low. Understand, like, the color coding of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Media literacy is at an all-time low. You're absolutely right. Where, Where I will push back is I don't think it's fair to say that M. Knight does that out of lack of respect for his audience. I don't think that M. Knight is a malicious or callous person. Sure. I think, if anything, it's just that he's kind of dumb. I would be willing to give you that. That he treats that like a revelation because he himself is dumb enough to consider it one. See, I don't think... I think it's a combination of both, right? Like, I think he's dumb, but I don't think he has contempt for his audience. I really don't. I don't think it's contempt. I don't think it's contempt at all. I think he's so in love with people like Spielberg who play up to such a broad audience that he's like, in his dumb guy mind, this is like... Oh, this is something ambiguous. I need to explain this so people aren't confused. Yeah. You know, it's that people-pleasing thing. And that's why every one of his movies ends with sort of an optimistic ending. Where, like, I think that's the fatal flaw of almost every M. Night movie is it ends optimistically rather than... They never have bleak endings. Going bleak or even ambiguous. You know, like, I think old would have been better if it was ambiguous i would think this movie would have been better if it was ambiguous you know i i think that i i i also want to say i think that there's a possibility that uh we ourselves are being a little unfair in a certain regard because like people go to see m night movies and i think he's generally still pretty well liked and respected as a filmmaker by like the broad populace so maybe we're be maybe we're being unfair we're be unfair maybe we're be unfair (laughs) because i don't i don't know i don't i don't think so because like an avatar fucking the last airbender movie well i haven't haven't seen that one but like i love split i think it's it's great I I even thought old was pretty decent. I was the biggest old defender of the three of us. That's true. You know, but I think I thought old was pretty. You bad. know, utter shit. This one because it's so stripped down, it just makes those flaws so much more evident. Yeah. Where like at least old As or glass on, can, yeah. you know, disguise some of those flaws <laughs> with spectacle. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a lot harder to think about the, the climax. Band. The climax of Glass was a fight in a parking lot. Yeah, yeah, but there was more Bruce spectacle a pipe. to that movie than there was in this movie. Yeah, I guess, there but is, uh, but action. it's so but it's so bad in Glass. Like I I I do think that Knock at the Cabin is better than both Old and Glass. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it's not I, as it's not as good as I Split. Actually disagree. It's not as good as Split, and I don't yeah. think Split is even a great movie, but. Uh, uh, Knock at the Cabin is his best in in the last few years, I think. But I. But my my point, just to put a cap on okay, it, to circle sure. back. My point is that maybe for a lot of people, our theater was full. 
maybe for a lot of people in that theater, the the Horseman of the Apocalypse thing was a, a, a revelation. Maybe it was a, a an oh shit moment for those people. And I you know, bet it was. And and in that sense, in that sense, M Night is perfectly catering to his audience. And I don't think that's showing any lack of respect for them at all. Which is, I think it case. was, and yeah. you know why I think that is, is because like. On my YouTube feed, I had an IGN video come up that said, Knock at the cabin, ending, explain. Bro, that literally... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Literally every single movie that has come out in the last 10 years, you can find a video on YouTube, that movie, ending, explain. No, but you know on, they're man. doing that for M. Of Night movies. Of course they like, are. Of course they are. But they do that for everything. I, I I feel like this is because, like, they they think that's a big twist. <sighs> yeah, I, I'm not... Look, I'm... I'm giving you that one. I'm not I'm not disagreeing. I think that sucks. I think that sucks <laughs> really bad. But I think you are probably right. But if that is a satisfying twist for some people, you know, I I guess good for them. The kind you know, the kind of people who get their fucking nips blown off by a movie like Inception, you know, probably I love mean, shit like this. Inception is such a better movie. Yeah, it is. I mean, is. technically, it, it is. is. It is. Like, I, I, it is. But you know, but you know what I mean. I know what you mean. You, but it's, demographic. You know what? You know what? Quote unquote, cerebral but, films that are bro that are yeah. smart movies for dumb guys. Lo- yeah. You know, honestly, Loki. I kind of hated this movie. I will say, <laughs> at this point, Make it like I'd probably rather watch an M Night movie than a Chris Nolan movie. Depends on the movie. For me, I think technically there's just a lot more to enjoy. A new, a new, a Christmas. new. Okay, you're not like you're not excited for you're not excited for Boppenheimer. <laughs> no. Boppenheimer. no, absolutely <laughs> fucking not. I'm not. I'll also, see it. Yeah. I'll see it. Uh, we, I'll, I'll, I'll see it, but I won't <laughs> like it. I, I, I still haven't seen Interstellar, and I, I was, never saw Tenet. I never saw Tenet. Well, I got, no, well, I got 20 minutes into it, and I shut it off. I hated it. Interstellar's okay. It's pretty dumb. Dunkirk was kind of bad. I thought Dunkirk was all right yeah, as same. well. I thought it was all right. And you know what? I still unironically love Nolan's Batman trilogy. <laughs> I'll fully admit that they're fucking stupid, but my favorite but my favorite fun. one, my favorite one is The Dark Knight Rises, which is hands <laughs> down the stupidest one out of the three of them. Hands down, it's Batman. It the du- the dumbest of the three of them, but it's my favorite, <laughs> and uh, and and I do think the I think the Prestige is great. Um, sure, but uh, they get all. Oh man, no, I, I here's the thing. Here's the thing, man. Like Chris never, Nolan is at least like he's like building like extravagant sets and he's doing wild shit, you know. And like technically, you can like get in, you can. Enjoy I think I think a person I, that shit. I think a person we're totally spiraling at this point, but I think a I think a person Good. like Chris Nolan has way more contempt for his audience than someone like M. Night Shyamalan does. I would actually agree with that. I would agree with I that. Think, I well, think I think that Chris Nolan... reason, yeah. I think Chris Nolan is a much more cynical See, director than, than M. Night. I think M. Night's, you know, kind of thing is it's not contempt for the audience. It's kind of like 
people pleasing. Yeah, well, I, I, know? I, no, absolutely. I, but I think I, my picture of M Night as a person, just from like the videos I've seen of him talking and stuff, and like seeing how he tweets and shit, like I think M Night is totally sincere. I think every bone in his body is pure sincerity. And that's why, despite the fact that I don't like a lot of his movies, I can't hate him as, like, a filmmaker because I really think that he loves what he's doing. And I think that he thinks that he's making, like, great, cerebral, people-pleasing movies. And for all of the people who do watch an M. Night movie and be like, whoa, they were the four horsemen of the apocalypse all along? That's fucking crazy, dude. Like, I can't hate, I can't hate that people like that and i'm happy for them yeah and and again i didn't hate this movie i thought it was very very watchable and i probably would watch it again just just to see just see big dave i think that's another thing about big dave is he needs more leading roles Mm -hmm. i want more leading roles from dave batista yeah i agree i also I think Jonathan Groff is pretty good in this movie. He's not an actor that I really have an opinion about one way or another. I thought he was fine in the new Matrix movie. Oh, that's where I've seen him. I thought he was pretty good in this as well. Yeah. I I think he's he's a good counterpoint, a, a good foil to Big Dave. I think the other guy who plays his husband, who that I don't know that that actor's name. Um, the one that was concussed. No, no, no. That's Jonathan oh, Groff. Shit, I got him mixed he, yes, up. Yes, Jonathan Groff is the concussed one. Wow, do you think all gays um, look the same, Ben? Pretty fucked up. No, the other one. Well, hey, did you <laughs> hey. did you get did you get the symbolism that the two of them are supposed to represent the duality of the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah, who opened the seals on the the book in God's hand in Revelations, the four horsemen. Oh um, shit! I totally missed that. Because Jonathan, because Jonathan, because Jonathan Groff is, you know, he's the more mild mannered one. He's, you know, they establish that yeah. he that he is religious a little bit, like not heavy handed, but he's the he's the kind, gentle one. He's the Lamb of God. While Andrew is fiery, he's angry. He's, you know, he's the decisive one. He's the Lion of Judah. And can they, you unlock your door so I can throw myself off your balcony? You got hands. You can unlock it. You're right. I'm going to go do that. Yeah. Did you, you didn't like the symbolism? At least they didn't say that one. At least yeah. they didn't say that out loud. They're the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and we're the Lamb of God and Lion of Judah. <laughs> you know, honestly, Honey? <laughs> the worst part is I missed that completely because they didn't spell it out. Oh, See? That's that, some water cooler. Talk see, right there's there. some water. Yeah, there, there it is. Though, if they had said it, you would have been like, "See, I just blew your mind with yeah, that, with that honestly. nugget, with that nugget of uh, of M Night <laughs> twist." Well, uh, I want to finish this for you, so I don't have to think. Just anymore. to finish off this discussion, please finish me. Uh, off soundtrack. Uh, I thought it was very. I did not notice it at all. Non-existent. Besides the very opening, I was gonna say what very, I, you know, and the ending. Was there music in there this was, movie? It was mostly percussion. I literally, I cannot think of it at there all. There was one moment where it kind of took me out when the guy was like running to his car to get his gun, 
And there was like this like distant timpani with like reverb on it. What about Tycho? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> the it, it sounded like gunfire. They put so much reverb on it. It's not like gunfire in the distance. And I was like, it's because he's going to get his gun, Cleveland. So, I want to kill myself. I like Isn't there's gonna be? <laughs> Can we? Are we done? Can we rate? Yeah, yeah, I, I guess. Go home and hug my dog. We didn't really talk about the end, but. It ends. They, I mean, we did kind of. They kill. They kill Jonathan Groff. He decides to sacrifice himself after. Uh, he kills himself after everybody else. Well, no, he can't because that's one of the rules. He can't kill himself, so his husband has to kill him. Uh, it happens off screen. We just hear the gunshot, just like every other kill in every other death in this movie. But then, sure enough, the apocalypse stops immediately, and. Uh, uh, Andrew and the little girl get in the car and drive to the diner and uh, where they're flipping between all of the international news stations. Yeah, that they just conveniently had, they just at, this had at the diner. And it's like, the what? We were, we were on the Pack we were on the <laughs> we were on the roof of the house and the water was rising and right as we were about to get swept away, the water stopped rising. It was like a miracle. Changed the channel. Uh, the planes stopped falling out of the sky and some planes landed safely. Changed the channel. Yeah, all this of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's been two hours since we've had somebody die in the ICU. The plague is over. Dude, okay, I love it because that one starts like, yeah, the Scottish lady is like, oh, yeah, we've... We've had the, you know, we've been filling the, uh, f- filling the, 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 the back room full of bodies this whole time, and it's just been terrible. But, but you know, no one's died in the past hour, so that's nice. And it's like, well, wait, hold on, slow down. So they were filling the back room with bodies, but for some reason, she thinks that no one's died in the past hour, and that's important. Yeah, they've, they've been <laughs> like she'd be like, "Oh my god, I'm dying Cleveland, over here." Cleveland, like, everybody, it's because it's because people were dying. People were dying so fast, but then they went two whole hours without anybody dying. So that means that the plague is over. COVID's over. Hey, COVID's <laughs> over. Nobody's died, died in two. two hours. Nobody's died in two hours in this one hospital. COVID's <laughs> over. I I will say one thing I want to mention about the end. Uh, a sequence that I found genuinely hilarious. Don't know if it was intentional or not. Where after they oh. <laughs> they leave the diner and they're sitting in the car and they turn and one of them turns on the radio. Well, he and, first he just turns the ignition and it's playing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. He turns on the car and the radio's playing and. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's the put on my boogie shoes song. Yeah. We saw them. We saw a flashback earlier yeah, of them all. The cabin, they were listening. To they're all listening shoes. and singing. It's happy, like a it's a, a fun a fun song car. they like together. So it, it turns on the car and it's on. And he reaches over, turns the radio off. Then the little girl reaches over, turns the radio back on, sits for a second, then reaches over and turns it off. And then the dad reaches over and turns the radio on. And then the little girl reaches over and turns the radio off. And it's like, what the fuck is this? I thought it was so funny. It's like they can't decide whether they want to sit and listen to the song that makes them think of Jonathan Groff, who just got shot five minutes ago. It's like, oh, do we want to address that trauma yet? Yeah, what's up with this, this, like, eight-year-old... Like her seven year old going on eight, I guess she specifies that at the beginning. Like like this like seven year old child 
not openly weeping constantly and wailing. Like, 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 she's just sitting there like, yeah, all right, you know, whatever. Which she does throughout most of the movie. She's like, the still, one time she does cry and scream is just a diversion. She's still in shock, Cleveland. Yes. No, it's just... It's she just really has good. to get on that, her boogie shoes, man. I guess so. I didn't, I didn't think that little girl was terrible. Uh, I, I thought she was a decent actor, but goddamn, she needs to work on her enunciation. I... Yeah. So many times in the movie, I'm like, what did she just say? Because she just, like, she talks so fast, just ran all her words together. Could That's not understand thing. what like, she was we saying. We were in a Dolby screen, and some of the dialogue in this it was just, just lost, completely yeah. incomprehensible. Yeah, I don't know how much of that is the kid and how much of that is, like, the, the editing, but, yeah. Oh, no, I mean, it's so. definitely the kid. Like, she's just delivering her lines so fast, you just can't hear them. Like, mm. that's... But, I mean, she's child actor otherwise she did otherwise she did fine i thought she she did okay for what was needed for her in the movie but yeah let's so let's rate it yeah one last thing okay this is my bad i know where i was dying to get to the end but so they they cut the phone lines and there's no signal at the cabin how'd they get the tv to play satellite why don't they just use their the satellite on their phones Cleveland, because satellite tell of the satellite that they put on your roof so you can watch TV doesn't also beam your phone signal. (laughs) That's not how that works at all. That's not. It's not how that works at all. In a perfect world, it could, but it does not in reality. Your your phone signal and your your write the movie. Your cable signal. It's it's all different. It's all signals. Okay. Well, yeah. Let's rate it. Why don't you start? Uh, this two, both stars for John Batista. Two stars for John Batista. Two stars for John Batista. Heard. Ben. Man, I did not like this movie. One and a half. Well, it's okay. not very good. Um, I didn't hate this movie. I thought it was okay. Three out of five. Wow. Yeah. Well, that'll give uh, Knock at the Cabin. Terrible title, by the way. Yeah. Terrible title. Not good. The The book is called The Cabin at the End of the World, which is a much better title yeah. for the story. I, I, that's a, actually a good title. Why didn't they just go with that? Anyway, Knock at the Cabin, average of 2.2 out of 5 pods. See it or don't, if you're, if you're somebody who's, cur- who's Shyamalan curious, you know, yeah, go check it out. Whatever. I don't care. I'm not your dad. Uh, Unless. We're we're recording this opening weekend, so we don't have predictions for Knock at the Cabin, but we do have the results of our predictions from last week's episode, Infinity Pool. Yes. So for Infinity Pool, I predicted a Rotten Tomato score of 93, TCU predicted 92, Ooh. and Cleview predicted 88. Currently, it's sitting at 85. Nice. Well done. Yo, I'm at it again. I ended up. I I got unlucky in the middle of that very narrow range. Opening weekend, uh, I predicted 9 million. TC predicted 12 million. And Cleview predicted 1 million. Opening weekend, it was 2.5. Oh, shit, I was right. Oh, wow, shit, yeah. yeah. Cleveland got it again. It. Yeah, you don't have to catch up. <laughs> so collective rating, I predicted four and a half. Damn, 2023 uh, was the year of the Cleve. Tease, you predicted five. And Cleve, you predicted four. But 
Golden yeah, boy. Pod movie. Golden Pod movie. Nailed that one nice. spot on. Um, let's see our comments. Oh, yeah. Eat the rich. Wait, who, uh, who said what? Give me, give me who said what? Okay, I said eat the rich. Uh, yeah, Tees, you said bourgeois spring breakers. Eh, a little, nah. little bit, though. Nah, not really. Started out kind of like that, but nah, not really. I was uh, off on that one. And Cleve, you said fucked up. I was right. Yeah, yeah. you're right. I was fucked up. Uh, and then for the second one, we only had two responses, but Mia Goss supremacy continues. True. true. Very true. Who was that? I don't know. Me, I think. I think that was you. Yeah, and then Cool Mask. That was me. I think that was, yeah, oh, yeah, I don't think I had a, 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 an additional comment so, on that one. Well, that was in the trailer. I cheated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we knew, we knew there were cool masks. Good shit. Uh, next week is is Cleve's pick. Speaking of 2023. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. There, is a, there is a light. There is a silver lining to that shitty rainbow cloud. I said rainbow. Rain cloud. Rainbow cloud. A shitty drunk. rainbow cloud. Uh, but, but I know what I'm picking. Baby, we're watching RoboCop. We're watching motherfucking RoboCop. Oh, Hell yeah. yeah. We're watching one of the best movies ever made. I am excited. Truly. Honestly, one of the best. You, you want to talk about dumb movies made by smart people-ish? Like, we're, we're watching motherfucking RoboCop. And you will have ten seconds to comply. It'll, whether or not you watch that movie, it'll be uh, it'll be a first time viewing for me. No, what? Shit. I've never seen oh, RoboCop all the way shit, through. Man. Yeah, dude, man, Verhoeven is a fucking legend. Story I, I have shot. I have seen a, a number of other Verhoeven. Like I've seen, oh, I don't want to overhype you. I've seen oh, fucking uh, Total Starship, Recall, Starship, Starship Troopers. Troopers. Yeah, but RoboCop, I've never seen its entirety. I've I've seen. A lot of like the big scenes, sure. you know. I've have not y'all seen. I've seen the Ed Two Hundred Nine lighting the dude. Yeah, up Showgirls. And... Have y'all seen? Yeah. Show... Yeah, oh, seen dude, that sh- that I've not rolled. seen Showgirls. Showgirls rules. I've seen. I've seen the. Movie. I've seen the sex scene it, in the but... pool. Yeah, <laughs> which is <laughs> one of the funniest. Kyle McLaughlin. One of the yeah, funniest man. sex scenes I've ever seen. <laughs> it's incredible. But yeah, I'm so excited for you. We're doing Verhoeven next week. So you like it. I hope you like Robocop. I'm sh- I have no reason to think that I won't like it. I do love Verhoeven. I, I love Starship Troopers and Total Recall, so like I don't see any reason why I wouldn't wouldn't love that. But yeah, uh, next week will be RoboCop. Yes. Oh, um, Cleveland, I, give us a sponsor before I we would, sign off. I would love to, my man. All right, this week, let me grab it off of the <sighs> the the shelf. It calls me. I've given it a sacrifice of blood, as is correct. And our sponsor this week is... 9-11 again! (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! The plane's crashing! It was a premonition! This movie was kind of 9-11 again, if you think about it. Bro. Pretty fucked up. How funny would it be if this movie was just inexplicably in an, in an alternate universe where they rebuilt the Twin Towers after 9-11 and we just like see on the news just like a plane spiraling out of the sky and just... Not again! Not again! <laughs> oh man excellent well that'll do it for us this week if you like the show please be sure to leave us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. that that really helps us a lot 
You can also support us at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. Shout out to our honorary pod boys, Sam Simon and Zach Confer, who we thank and love for their support of the show. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at podpeoplepod. The integration that posts our episodes is still broken. I'm going to try to remember to start posting those episodes on Twitter myself, but <laughs> whatever. You can follow us there. Uh, you can do, and also at letterbox.com slash podpeoplepod, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. I'm on Twitter at some spooky snake. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. Fuck Twitter. I'm not on mm-hmm. it. I'm on, uh, and, and, yep. And I, Bow. I wasn't on it before it was cool. Uh, yeah, but you can find, uh, some of the cool stuff I'm working on by DreadXP.com amongst all those super cool games. I have helped to contribute one, uh, a little bit here and there, but, uh, they're all fucking rad. Um, uh, and I think, uh, yeah, beyond that, just, uh, eat your fucking vegetables, man. They're, they're delicious. You just gotta cook them right. I can't eat my vegetables because I'm too busy drinking this 40. Ah, but think about it. What does malt come from? I don't know, actually. Is weed a vegetable? Yeah. Yes. I well, feel like wheat is kind no, of its own well, wheat thing. is we wheat is a, a shit. Let's wrap this wheat up. is a grain. Yeah. Do you count grains as vegetables? Because yeah. they are separate on the food pyramid. The food pyramid is 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 a, a, a fucking scam. Tell that. Well, motherfucker, you count bread as a vegetable then? No, Mama, I'm taking it as a bad dream.